You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. This week is special because this week is Orphan Sunday, and all of the churches across the country are taking time, I say all, I mean all the churches that are participating, are taking time to celebrate, remember, pray for, consider, look after, um, consider how we might look after uh, orphans all around us. Now, I realize that us as a church, we, you know, we just built an orphanage, right? We just participated with God and what He was doing in Eldoret, Kenya, raised $105,000 to build an orphanage. That's why you see all the pillows around us, because each one of these pillows represent a child that will now have a place to lay their head. And this week, we are giving... 175 of these pillows to Pineapple Inn, which houses families living through homelessness, um, which includes children. And then we're going to give 25 of those pillows to Three Restoration Incorporated, which houses, uh, permanently houses, um, through Three Restoration Ministries of seven different local churches here in town and growing, um, as well as uh, churches in uh, Fredericksburg um, and soon to be churches in Richmond and Dallas um, to house families that are living uh, through homelessness and bring them to self-sufficiency. So we're going to certainly be able to provide these pillows for people locally and even within the United States uh, to, to find a place to live. Uh, so it's a beautiful thing that God is doing. And one of the things that would be easy to assume is that since we have, you know, housed 200 homeless orphans and in this church we sponsor just over 50 orphans, that as a church we get it. Like that would be easy to think. Like we get it, we get it. We, we need to care for orphans. We We've talked about orphans all year long, so why do we need a Sunday to talk about orphans again? And that sometimes is the way we Christians are. A lot of times I've even heard some of us that, you know, say, and I think just kind of conversationally, well, we've done our global mission, right? Like, we've, we did this. You know, you add $105,000 to the, to the regular three hundred and ten dollars or $320,000 annual budget of the church, that's $425,000, roughly, thousand dollars, and one hundred five dollars of that plus 10% of that other went to global mission. We, we, we get it. We get it. That's what we would, we can have a tendency to think. And yet, Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church and said, What you guys are doing are great. Love how you're loving each other, and I love how you're loving others, but do more. And we're like, Do more. When can we rest? Well, we rest when Jesus returns. <laughs> That's the Sabbath rest that we're called into. Um, according to the Hebrew writer. And we learn to find rest, though. We learn to find rest now. We have to make time for Sabbath. We have to make time for space. We have to... We do need rest. But don't worry. Today, we're not asking to build another orphanage. Today, what we're doing is to try and make sure that we understand the heart of God. Because as a people of God, we need to understand the heart of our God. And it's got to be more than the Terraqua Children's Home in Eldoret, Kenya. This is what it looked like before. This is Francis B. This is another picture of what it looked like before. Just barren, dry land. And it's great because the Scriptures in Isaiah say that God's people will rebuild what is broken and that God, through His power, will take what is dried and barren and give it water and life. And what we find is this man here, who is just an older man, who has taken in these AIDS orphans in his own home, in that home you see behind him. 
now can do more because these AIDS orphans who struggle to live there can now live here in the Tarakwah Children's Home. This is what it looks like. A little bit like a McDonald's. A little yellow and red, I think. But it shines. And it's a beautiful work of God. 200 children, 100 boys, 100 girls, and a handful of widows when I have a place to live. Uh, and that dry and barren land has now turned into a house of respite. A, house of res- a respite house, a place of, of holding, a place of home, a place of rest for these children. No longer will they be uh, abused in every physical way imaginable and emotional way. They want to have a place to stay. And this has always been God's heart. It's always been God's heart even from the beginning back as His people of Israel were formed and His people of Israel fell into even sinfulness and idolatry. And one of the things we learn in Scripture is every time the people of Israel fall into idolatry, injustices inevitably follow. Injustice, socially and legally, doing wrong when we should be doing right to the pain and to the hurt and to the oppression of others, always comes as a result of idolatry. Always. It flows through idolatry. Sometimes idolatry is blatant. Sometimes it's explicit. And sometimes it's subtle. And sometimes it's implicit. And the writer of Isaiah comes, as Isaiah the prophet comes to the people of God, and he has a word with them. And the word that he has with the people of God and the rulers of Sodom is simply this, in Isaiah 1, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are all your sacrifices to me, asked the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of well-fed cattle. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, and male goats. If you're wondering what he's talking about, this is their sacrifices. This is the people of God in this area worshiping God. This is their acts of worship. This is their church service. This is their Sunday, in their case, Saturday gatherings. And Yahweh is calling these gatherings out. And it's wonder why, because they are doing everything proper before the Lord. He, but yet the Lord isn't pleased. And he says in verse 12, when you come to appear before me, who requires this from you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing useless offerings, your incense is detestable to me, your new moons and Sabbaths, and the calling of your solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you lift up your hands in prayer, I'll refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. And the question we have to ask is, what blood? What has the people of God done that is so despicable in their life that their worship to Yahweh and that their prayers are not even going to be heard? And he says to them in verse 16, Wash yourselves, cleanse yourselves, remove your evil deeds from my sight, stop doing evil, learn to do what is good, seek justice, correct the oppressor, Defend the father, the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. And then come. Let us discuss this, says the Lord. And though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they will be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat good things of the land. 
And somehow we think when Jesus came, all of this changed. That all of a sudden the heart of the Father changed and no longer does He have this opinion about injustice. As if somehow God, who looks like Jesus, comes to us through the death and resurrection and now all of a sudden justice and and learning to do what is right and seeking justice and correcting oppressors and defending the rights of fatherless and pleading widows' causes, somehow that changed and it never has. Because Jesus calls out the same sins to the people in Rome and to the people in the Pharisees there too. Paul calls out the same sins to the people of God. Anytime we forget and we decide that we're going to be complicit even, complicit to injustice. Complicity is our sin a lot of times. Where we just don't say anything. And these are action words for the people of God. Learning to do what is good. Seeking correcting these are verbs defending pleading then we come jesus looks at the pharisees one day and says hey i love the fact that all you guys tithe everything you have but you've forgotten the weightier matters of the law and he said what love mercy and justice always been the heart of God in the heart of Jesus because Jesus is God our worship in one way is no different than the people of Israel our worship is not disconnected from our lives because our lives are given to God in worship and if our lives are defined by determined by and dictated by the presence of God our affections behaviors and concerns will be shaped by the character of God You follow me? If our lives are defined by, determined by, and dictated by the presence of God through the Spirit within us who bears witness to the risen Christ, then our affections, behaviors, and concerns will be shaped by the character of God. And God has always had a heart for the marginalized and helpless among us, so much so that He is specific in mentioning them throughout His law. See, we don't like it when we start specifying people groups in our society. All lives matter, is what we like to say. Yahweh would say, orphan lives matter, specifically. He would say, poor lives matter, specifically. He would say, foreign or immigrant lives matter, specifically. He would say, widows' lives matter, specifically. Yahweh's not afraid to specify. Because see, here's what Yahweh's about. He's about the vulnerable. He's about all people. But let's not mistake valuation for vulnerability. Yahweh is not devaluing or undervaluing or overvaluing a life. What Yahweh is doing is highlighting the vulnerable among us. Raise your hand if you are as vulnerable as an orphan. We're not. You know why we're not as vulnerable as an orphan? Look around. We have family. We have people. And so Yahweh specifies in the law. And I just wanted to show that to you briefly this morning. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 17. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the, read it, fatherless and the widow and loves the 
giving him food and clothing. You also must love the foreigner. And here's that statement. Since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt, you are to fear Yahweh your God and worship Him, remain faithful to Him and take oaths in His name. He is your praise and He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome works your eyes have seen. And later through the law, you read over and over again that these marginalized ones should never be marginalized because of their vulnerability. They should be a part of the community of God. Deuteronomy 16, Rejoice before Yahweh your God in the place where He chooses to have your name dwell, you, your son, and your daughter, your male and female slave, the Levite within your gates, as well as the foreigner, read it with me, the fatherless and the widow among you. And then Yahweh makes special provision in His law. Special provision. Special provision in His law to make sure that these quartet of the vulnerable, as scholars have said for years, the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the foreigner, and the orphan, or the fatherless, is always protected by the people of God through the strength of Yahweh. That there's a responsibility. And we talked about this, because mutual relationship requires mutual responsibility. Right? In the, mutual, in the mutually submissive kingdom of God, there is mutual responsibility for one another, and especially, and especially the vulnerable, the marginalized. And so in Deuteronomy 24, verse 17, Yahweh says, Do not deny justice to a foreigner or fatherless child, and do not take a widow's garment as security. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. When you reap the harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, do not go back to get it. In other words, when you pluck some, some, some grain out of your field and you accidentally forget a whole row, don't go back. But that's my row, Yahweh. I worked for that. He said, don't go back. I would be up, like I have a terrible memory. I just missed up. One time I was cutting my yard, um, cutting the backyard one time. Um, I was actually cutting the grass and, and I cut like the whole front and forgot to cut the whole back. And I don't mean of the front yard, I mean the front of the backyard. And it was obvious. Like Ian would run and then he would get lost. <laughs> and I just went on like, man, I was proud of myself. Cut the yard, thinking my wife, you know, thinking Allison would, you know, good job, honey. I know these are, stereo these are things I should be doing, but in my house, these are surprises. Um, <laughs> thinking, thinking that this should happen. And I would, I would forget this. I would leave so much. And Yahweh would say to me, Fred, when you reap the harvest in your field, you forget a sheaf in the field. Do not go back to get it. It is to be left for the, say it. Say it with me, come on. The foreigner, the, and the. He specifies every time. He doesn't say to anyone who has need. You notice that? He doesn't say that. He doesn't generalize. Yahweh specifies. And when you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, you must go over the you must not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the read it. Foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes in your vineyard, you must not glean what is left. What remains will be for the foreigner, fatherless, and the widow. And then he anchors that. He anchors all of this in that statement that I'm sure annoyed the Israelites at some point. Because remember, you were slaves once in Egypt too. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. God's heart for the marginalized, oppressed, and helpless 
which specifically includes, specifically and explicitly includes the poor, orphan, widow, and foreigners, was etched into the mind of even the psalmist as a worship leader because the psalmist knew something we often forget, that our God has always been and always will be a father to the fatherless and a Lord for the lonely. And in Psalm 68, in his song, he says, God is in His holy dwelling as a father to the fatherless and a champion of widows. Psalm 10, verse 12, Rise up, Lord God, lift your hand. Do not forget the afflicted. Why has the wicked person despised you? He says to himself, You will not demand an account, but you yourself have seen trouble and grief, observing it in order to take the matter into your hands. The helpless entrust himself to you. You are a helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evil person. Call his wickedness into account until nothing remains of it. The Lord is king forever. And ever the nations will perish from his land. Lord, you've heard the desires of the humble. You will strengthen their hearts. You will listen carefully, doing justice for the fatherless and the oppressed, so that the men of earth may be terrified them, may terrify them no more. Psalm 81, God has taken his place in the divine assembly. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah, provide justice for the needy and the fatherless. Uphold the rights of the oppressed. And the destitute, Psalm 146, happy, blessed is the man whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited and giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. The, love, the Lord protects foreigners and helps the fatherless and the widow. But He frustrates the ways of the wicked. The Lord reigns forever. Zion, your God, our, your God reigns for all generations. And in all these texts, we see God's heart for the marginalized, specifically the orphans, widows, poor, oppressed, the foreigners. And today we give special attention to God's heart for the orphans for the fatherless, those lost and abandoned, where the reign of sin and death has come in and crashed into their lives and compelled parents to leave them or compelled circumstances for them to come into this world and to be put aside or to have plans made for them even or, or even compelled parents or, or people to come and love them, but then death crashes into the parents' home. A reign of sin and death crashes in and creates then what was once a beloved child into an orphan that society doesn't know what to do with. And why must we tend to this? Because God knew that because of sin and death, all of humanity was orphaned by Him. All humanity was orphaned from God. You and I were orphans once too. That might be the new statement. Because you were once an orphan too. And you may think, well, not with my family, no. Not with your biological, earthly family, perhaps. But with your eternal family, with your heavenly Father, you and I were all once orphans too. Our sin, in the reign of sin and death, that we became complicit to, made us orphans, because it separated us from God. And saying that we are orphans without God and Jesus Christ is not a play on a metaphor or terms. It's actually a biblical truth and a biblical phrase. And here's the beauty of our God. He has always made provision for us. He's always looked out for us. And He's always reached out to us. And the beauty of God is that He's always made provision for, looked out for, and cared for orphans. 
which includes all of us in some way. Hopefully you see this clearly in the Old Covenant. And hopefully we see this clearly in the New Covenant made in Jesus Christ. Because God did not leave us orphaned. He adopted us. Galatians 4 verse 3. In the same way we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elemental forces of the world, the reign of sin and death. And when the time came to completion, God sent a son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive, say this with me, adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son and a daughter. And if a son and a daughter, then an heir through God. But there was once where we were lonely and orphaned from all that we believed to be beautiful in God. We were, we were orphaned from our Creator and from our Maker, from our Heavenly Father, and He made a way. In Romans 8, it says this, that all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of what? Adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We've been grafted in. We've been welcomed into the family. Lord Jesus stood before the courts with us by His side and said, I want us to take these kids in. And that's not a play on words. That's the truth. But what we have to realize is that God not only cares about the spiritually orphaned, but He cares about the physically, very personally, very realistically orphaned even here with flesh and blood. For Yahweh, He's a both-and God. We're the only either-or people. We have a tendency to be either-or. We'll do either this or that. And Yahweh's like, no, it's a both-and. I want you to make sure that these kids in Eldoret, Kenya are no longer orphaned physically so that they're no longer orphaned spiritually. And so Yahweh calls us to this. This is a part of the good works for which we have been saved. As Paul would say, for you are saved by grace through faith and it's not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast for we are His creation, created in Christ Jesus for what? For what? For good works, which God prepared for us beforehand. And so what are some of these works? Well, James chapter 1, I'm reading a lot of scripture today. James chapter 1 verse 22 would say this, but be doers of the word, not hearers only. Because if we're hearing and not doing, what are we doing according to James? We're deceiving ourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man looking at his face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. In other words, we forget our identity. We forget that we were once orphans too, that we were once slaves in Egypt too. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves it, and by the way, this is James in the New Testament writing, talking about a perfect law of freedom that we preserve. Grace is not license. Grace may be opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. It comes with responsibility of life, love, and justice. The one who 
looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but one who does good works, the person will be blessed in what he does. For if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, then his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before our God and Father is this, to look after widows, or to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In their distress, distress, great pain, anxiety, sorrow, acute physical and mental suffering, trouble, a state of extreme necessity or misfortune. Anyone, Christians are called to look after the distress, widows and orphans in their distress. Four years ago, Allison and I began the adoption journey. And we prayed and we fasted and we believed that God wanted us to adopt. We always knew that it was something we needed to do. We had just hoped we would have maybe another birth child first, have two birth children adopt, have a family of three. And Yahweh had other plans. We never had the second birth child. And four years and a few thousand dollars later, we never received calls, not even looks at our profile for the adoption. And so as we get older, because unfortunately we don't get younger, we started to think and pray and fast and wonder if maybe God was saying, that's not really it. And so we decided a few months ago to pull out of the formal adoption process, yet knowing that the Ligon family's not through with domestic orphans. They might be fostering or something down the road for us if God allows. There's something still in our hearts. But what propelled us into this place of mind were these texts. It was looking at the very heart of Yahweh and seeing that I just can't preach about orphan care. And I can't just be content with sponsoring an orphan in Kenya. But I must do that at least that you and I can't just talk about it, we must figure out how to look after them. Looking after them requires some sort of verb, some sort of action word. Because we're commanded to look after them. And so for some of us, yes, it, it can be to sponsor a child. It can be helping build an orphanage. For some of us, it can be Domestic adoption. For some of us, it can be international adoption. It doesn't have to be that for everybody. But we all have to look after orphans somehow. Because we're Christ followers who were once orphaned too. Since November is National Adoption Month, and Sunday, this Sunday is Orphan Month, I want to outline the story of adoption in a different way. And it goes something like this. In one year, 145 million children are living without families worldwide. In one month, 3,858 children enter foster care in the U.S. alone. In one week, 33 children are adopted by a family. In one day, 3,287 children are aborted in the U.S. In one family in every church, if one family in every church, if one family in every church adopted one child, there would be no more children in foster care in the United States of America. Just one family in every church. Just one, not all, one. 
If Christians, if we took literally the looking after orphans and within 146 families, a family was compelled to adopt and then the other 145 families came around them to fund the adoption. And every church in America did that. There'd be no children in foster care. So when we get upset at God because of the hunger and the poverty and the brokenness in the world, and we blame God for what has happened, God looks at us and says, but you're in my body. I have no other hands on earth but yours. No other feet on earth but yours. No other legs on earth but yours. No other pockets but yours. No other minds than yours. No other hearts than yours. If my people who are called by my name would turn their faith into a verb, and there'd be no suffering like this. And what I love about you, Williamsburg Christian Church, is your faith is a verb. It is a verb. It's not lost on me. I know it's not lost on Yahweh. We've sponsored orphans. We've had families here adopt orphans. We've built orphanages. We care for the homeless and the poor. We tend to our widows the best we can. No one in our church will be homeless. No one in our church will die alone. No one in our church will go without as long as there's us. You have your faith turned into a verb. And so it's a very awkward sermon for me sometimes to offer this to you and say, let's keep abounding in this love though. Like, let's not go, well, we've arrived. We, we've done this. Woo-woo us. My voice is cracking. I've been speaking all weekend long. Instead, let us continue to pray. Let us continue to put our hands and feet to work. Let us not grow satisfied in the fact that we have built an orphanage and have sponsored 50 children. Let us not grow satisfied in the fact that we care for and welcome the intellectually disabled and mentally ill and the, the, the exploited in our society. Let us not grow content with that. Our Father's not content. Let us instead have a redemptive and holy unrest in our hearts that says, as long as I have breath, I will remain in fellowship with God and His people. I will be in joint partnership in what God and His people are always doing. I will not sit back and say, Whew, that, that's accomplished. And I will, I will, I will. Don't get me wrong, I'll, I'll erect pillows. And we'll celebrate what God has done in our Ebenezer's and our memorial stones of help. And we will plant and lay down our altars. And we will celebrate what God has done. And when the party is over, we will breathe. You know what Yahweh promises to always do to His people? Give them strength. Renew their passion. And so for those of us who are tired, sit aside for a while and rest. Take Sabbath. But for those of us who have energy left, let us carry on the torch. And then once we've gotten our rest from our Sabbath, let us get up and get back into what God is doing. See, the beautiful thing about the church is it's not just one people or one person or one family. It's a collective of families. So for those of you who have sponsored a family, have sponsored an orphan, praise the Lord. Down the road, see what else you can do. Buy them some chickens, some goats. Find out a local family in the United States of America in Williamsburg, uh, Virginia. Find out a family that's adopting. It's costing twenty-one dollars to $25,000 and give them a few. Like you did us. 
or like you did the adoption service. They kept it <laughs> every dime. But for those of us who haven't, rise up. Rise up. Sponsor an orphan. Give to a family who is taking the bold and God-ordained steps to welcome them into their life. Support the families in our church who foster, and we have families in our church who foster. And let us plead the cause of the widow too, by the way. Let us correct the oppression among us, by the way. Let us defend the cause of the needy too, by the way. And remember that we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. What can we not do? Let me ask you, what can we not do? What can the people of God who have God living inside of them collectively coming together as a fellowship not do? What can we not do? Come on. Nothing. There's nothing we can't do. I had the privilege of standing before 230 people at a banquet. When was it? Friday night. This weekend's like one big hangover, man. And I looked at that room and Allison leaned into me and said, do you know everybody? I'm like, no, I don't know everybody. Courtney knows everybody, practically. And I saw this thing called Three Restoration Incorporated that's now gone out to seven local churches and is headed out and is in Fredericksburg and is headed out to Richmond and headed out to Dallas. And, and here's the thing, it all started here. Like with us. Just being faithful. Never looking to build anything. We were just loving a family. And it just bursts out into this thing that none of us ever imagined. And it's a beautiful thing. We never set out to do it. We were just being faithful. Listen. God is not calling this church to success or perfection. Who cares about what everybody thinks about success? None of us are called to success. We're called to one thing and one thing only. And that is faithfulness. We're called to faithfulness. And that calling won't stop. You have been a part of some beautiful, life-changing, eternity-changing moments in this city and in this world. You see that? For those of you who have been here for five years and endured all the change, that have endured all the shifting around, the moving of tables and the new carpets and the, the mundane like that, but then the, the bigger things in change, like all the new people and the cultural shifts that take place and, the, and, and, and dealing with the, the new understandings of faith and, and all of these things. For those of you who have been here for over five years and endured all of that, your faithfulness to stay put in this family and endure in grace. You have been a part of something beautiful. We stand on your shoulders and every shoulder that's gone before and every new person that's come in. Raise your hand if you've come to this church in the last year. Raise your hand high, please. Raise your hand if you've come to this church in the last two years. Okay, raise your hand if you've come to this church in the last one and two years. That means everybody who just raised their hands, raise your hands again. Raise your hands high for a minute, please. Raise your hands high. Look around, look around. Keep your hands up. You don't, have, you don't have sweaty armpits. You're good. Keep your hands up. 
The thing is, you can put them down now, the thing is, we have work to do. We are called to faithfulness. And we'll figure it out, whatever it is. We will listen to the Lord. We will discern the Lord's movement among us and between us and within us. And then we will ask the Lord, what do you want us to do about it? And if He says something as crazy as, how's the family? Welcome the poor. Or build an orphanage. And then we will obey. Because there's nothing that God's people can't do. And you are a part of that movement of God. In this city and in this world. So rejoice. But let us not grow weary in doing good. And let us not sit on our heels and say our work is done. One day, you and I will hear the words from Jesus that says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Until he says to us, Well done, we have work to do. For those of you who are tired, which would include me, may we take rests. But once we are rested, May we enter back into the work of God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength to love Him with the same and our neighbor as ourselves. And may our faith always be a verb because our God is a father to the fatherless and He is the Lord to the lonely. May we let people know how we love them too.